Welcome to Fuel, the official podcast of Friends Southwest, a family of churches whose mission is fueling a spirit-led movement where Jesus changes people who change the world. It's our hope in these monthly podcasts to bring you helpful information, engage meaningful conversations, and provide moments of inspiration to fuel you as you follow Jesus and care for His church. Welcome, friends, on this edition of Fuel, our official Friends Southwest podcast. I'm very excited to have a guest with us that many of you know, many of you have been impacted by. And if you don't know him prior to this, you're going to want to get to know him. So our guest today is Alan Amavisca. He's the director of the North County Project, whose mission is to reach the one million unchurched people of North Orange County. Alan has served as a missionary in Central America for 14 years, 10 years as a missions pastor on a church staff, nine years working in the denomination office as a church planter, and three years now with the North County Project. Our topic today, the reason I asked Alan to come, is because I think a lot of us are wrestling with and trying to figure out what evangelism that I prefer to call now gospel conversations, what those look like in the context in which we live, especially with the unchurched and the de-churched, meaning people who used to attend church and don't anymore, are disillusioned, are frustrated, are angry. How do we reach those groups of people in this unique period of time? And so Alan, I think, has the gifts of evangelism, has apostolic gifts, and we can learn a lot from him. The Lord is doing some exciting things in his ministry, and so I've invited him to talk with us about these things. Alan, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation, Heidi. Yes, so glad to have you. Let's jump right in. When we're talking about gospel conversations, what is different now than maybe— 20 and even 30 years ago when, for example, I was being trained as a teenager how to share my faith? What's different in the culture that we have to adapt to? That's a great question. And that's probably the core of everything that we're doing. Uh, The largest difference is 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you could walk up to a stranger and throw out a question about faith, and there was a 20, 30% chance that they would just engage that. Uh, That is not as common now. People are a lot more defensive, a lot uh, more prickly. And right now, it really is about invitation. Mm -hmm. And that invitation comes when there's trust. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say is the biggest difference. Yeah, and trust is an issue we have in our culture today. There's a, a lot bit. of suspicion between a lot of groups of people, not just not just bifurcated into two groups. There's just suspicion no. that kind of lives in the air. Right. Tell us, Ellen, like how it shifted. You know, the church used to be sort of the center of right. a community, and that's not true anymore. How does that impact our ability, the old ways of doing things in terms of being able to share our faith and have gospel conversations. Yes, that's probably the biggest issue that the church 
is trying to figure out, actually doesn't even know that it's trying (laughs) to figure it out. Many churches still think that in some way we are at the center of the culture. In many towns, churches are still on Main Street. They're across the street from City Hall. And so there's this geographical message that we are reading that says we're still at the center of things. But people don't see us that way in many parts of the country. Now, there are parts of the country where that's not true. But definitely in California, uh, there is, there's been a shift in the church in a, in a um, social sense has moved from the center of the culture to the edge or even on the outside. And so we're on the periphery rather than at the center of things. People are not, when they have problems, the first thing that, doesn't, that goes through their mind is not, gee, I've got a problem. I'll go to the church. I'll find an answer there. In fact, we may be the last place on their checklist of, of possibilities for a solution. In a, in a sense, for me, the be- best way to describe it, pastors a, a generation ago sat at the middle of things. They were at the table in, in, their, in their local community. Now pastors have become missionaries. They're on, the, they're on the very edge of culture, and they have to figure out how to find a way in. Mm. And I think that's been the missing piece for a lot of us. I agree with you. I think that's such a huge shift in our thinking that uh, we need to talk about more because we have to, we have to unlearn some things. We have right. to get that into our, our paradigm of the way that we see the world so that we don't expect people to come to us, so that we're not right. operating on antiquated views that, well, people, when they have a need, will come to the church. Right. Well, if I just invite them, they're going to come. Mm-hmm. It's, it is much more missiological that I have to go enter their lives. Right. Yeah, it's a huge shift, I think, yeah. for any of us who are over, you know, 30. Right. And, um, and we have to, I think we have to keep repeating that so that we understand it and go, don't go to our default, you know, settings, which we've always known. Yes, and I, I hadn't really figured this out. You know, those, those nine years that I was working at Southwest and, and more in a supervisorial role, uh, I wasn't encountering it as much until I, I took an anthropology course and had to do a, um, I had to do a, a, a study in a community, and I decided to use it was had to be an ethnographic study, so I decided to do a, a focus group, and I God just dropped me into a group of young adults, all professionals all former Christians, all former very active leading Mm. type of young people in their churches, and all of them had walked away from faith. Mm. And when I tossed out the idea to them of of doing a focus group, they asked me why I wanted to do it. And I said, I just like to understand what happened. Mm. How did you go from being engaged, committed young people to where you're at today? And so they agreed to do that. And we had a couple of really intense uh, mm-hmm. conversations, really intense. This, the, the anger and the sense of betrayal mm-hmm. that they felt at the hands of the church was, was palpable. And it was g- grievous uh, for me as, as I was listening. But here was the thing. After two meetings with this group, we had finished up. I had everything I needed to do for my, my paper and we're walking out of the room and they said, hey, we have a question for you. Uh, what's that? Would you and your wife be willing to help us find our way back to faith? Wow. 
yeah, I was, wow, <laughs> exactly. It, I was staggered and I asked them, I, I told them, of course we would, but why? And they said, you are the first church leader that has ever asked us why we left and listened. Mm. And so this kind of rocked me. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and we did. We ended up, uh, they came to our house uh, for dinner every other Sunday night for almost a year. And, and over the course of the year, what was interesting, all we did was put a question out there and kind of facilitate their conversation. And over the year, they led each other back into faith wow. uh, to the point that all but one are, are walking uh, with the Lord now. Um, but it wasn't our work. It was our presence, mm -hmm. just creating a place for them and being willing to listen mm -hmm. and let them work it out. And I'd say that's, um, <laughs> you know, in a, in, in, in a way, people become much more engaged about working out their salvation with mm -hmm. fear and trembling, mm -hmm. uh, to quote yeah. Paul. But Absolutely. Um, it, that, so yeah, for me, it was like, holy cow, I'll, you know, I've been thinking I have to come up with great arguments and really what people want is someone who's going to listen to them and care, really cares about them. And, and so that became kind of our new way of, of doing evangelism. Actually, it was the old way that we used to do it when we were missionaries. Yes. And talk to us about that. Talk to us about a missiological approach to gospel conversations, what that means. Yeah. Um, one of our key uh, mentors when we were beginning in our mission uh, journey uh, the Brewsters, Dr. Tom and Betty Sue Brewster, taught us that the, the posture of a missionary begins with being a learner. Mm. You, you go in not to proclaim, but to listen and to understand and to get a sense of who these people are and what, what gets them up in the morning. And um, as you become a learner and allow them to teach you you figure out how to begin serving. So your first, the first posture is as a learner, and then you adopt a, a servant posture. Over time, as you're serving and effective in your service because you've been listening, uh, the door opens for friendship, real friendship to occur. And as friends, you begin trading your stories, and then the storytelling posture comes out of that. And so you're not as, coming as an outsider, just laying things on people, but you're actually a friend sharing your story as you've been listening to theirs. That was very effective for us. We planted 10 churches uh, by going that way into the community and inviting people to read the word with us mm. and uh, made it a conversation and uh, saw hundreds and hundreds of, of people decide to follow Jesus because they were reading scripture and having an encounter of their own with Jesus. And so when you were dropped into a different culture, it was obvious that you needed to learn something about the culture, yes. right? I think part of the shift we haven't made is realizing we are in a different culture. Exactly. <laughs> we have yeah. to understand that we're in a different culture than we were raised in, than That's we've right. understood. And if we want to reach the unchurched and particularly our young people who are mm -hmm. not coming to church, we have to understand we have to step into their culture, just like right. you're talking about. Right. We can't assume because we all live in the same place and often look similar that we are the same, that we have yeah. the same cultural context. Yeah, we don't understand. I mean, for those of us that grew up in the 60s and 70s, there was some disruption in our lives. Sure. But the 
the young people today have lived with a level of disruption that we can't even comprehend. Mm -hmm. uh, South side of Chicago, I read 85% of the Hispanic kids and 92% of African-American kids are growing up with one parent. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of, uh, you know, a quarter of all children in America are uh, living in poverty. Right. Uh, you know, and it, all of these statistics that it's just a much, much more disruptive environment, on, uh, socially, on the familial level, economically, and, and every. And so these young people are, are growing up in a context that's just radically different from anything we've known. And so we have to make the adjustment that the church is no longer the center right. of the culture and society, and that we live in a much more eclectic, cultural mm -hmm. context than perhaps we've realized. Right. Which means, to reiterate what you said, we start as learners. Yes. Like you asking those kids from your anthropology class, hey, what was it? Yep. What what pushed you away? You know, rather than trying to convince them, you started learning from them and yes. listening to them. And you have to listen when it gets tough, because let me tell you, they were <laughs> smoking my ears. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, just to keep quiet uh, and, and continue listening until they had talked themselves out was really, really important in the process. Do you think that's one of the mistakes that we too commonly make is jump in too soon with truth, even if it's well-meaning, that we try to fix their angst? Yeah, it's it's our bent, I think, as Americans to want to fix things, <laughs> and so that's our you know that's the cultural context we're in, and and yet the, the people that are around us, many of them, you know, we we see the brokenness. They're not looking to be fixed. Yeah, they're absolutely. looking to be loved, and they're looking to be listened to, and and so what we are finding even today as we begin these these dialogues with with people like we're you know we're, we're having dialogues with people who have never read the bible never been to church know nothing about jesus and when i say nothing about jesus uh, a couple of young ladies not too long ago didn't even know that jesus had lived in israel they were shocked to find mm -hmm. out that jesus was from israel uh so it's it's that entering into conversation with those people and and moving at a pace that works for them. And Realizing they don't they don't know the things we assume right, they know. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that can it can take time. You know, uh, there's a guy I've known for seven years. And uh, he made it really clear at the outset, um, one nothing to do with Christianity or even hearing about it. And and so uh, our relationship has been around surfing and around some, some common friends. And um, I found out after our first meeting that he was very grateful that knowing that I was you know, in ministry that I hadn't tried to convert him. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we've been moving along uh, these years as friends, having a meal together occasionally, surfing together. And uh, it was only recently uh, in a conversation that he started asking me question after question about what I do and why and, and was enthralled with the stories that he was hearing about people like him who were becoming followers of Jesus. Mm. Now, we didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, invite him to do a, a, a dialogue together or anything like that. That's, you know, that, the, that invitation has not come yet. But just the fact that he would ask me for 30 minutes 
and at the end tell me what you're doing is awesome. Mm. Uh, but that came after seven, seven years. years of friendship. Yeah. Now, it doesn't always take seven years. Sure. It might take seven minutes, but depending on the person. But but the thing is, waiting for that invitation in is huge. Mm-hmm. And and Jesus did that. You know, it's really, I, I was studying with a brand new believer uh, from one of our dialogues. We were looking at Mark chapter five in the first part. And it's really, I had not noticed it. This is a wonder, wonderful thing about doing these dialogues is people who are reading the scriptures afresh bring so much insight to me. And and this, this guy was observing, hey, when the people told Jesus to leave, he left. Mm. He, didn't, he didn't try to argue his way in. But what was interesting is Jesus tells the, the ex-demoniac, you stay. Mm-hmm. You tell them your story. And then what does it end with? The people were amazed. Yeah. And so, you know, here's, here's the, the author of Scripture being told to leave, and he walks away, but he tells this recently demonized man, you stay, you're going to be the one that brings the message. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's all about timing and it's waiting for that invitation. And yeah, it's, it's much more organic than maybe what we've been used to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have so many things I want to say about that, but first of all, I want you to, in case people don't know what you're talking about, when you say dialogues, Mm. tell us about the biblical dialogues. Tell us what you mean when you say that so we can make sure we're tracking with you. So a key part of what we're doing at North County Project is training people to be able to sit down with friends, family that don't know Jesus, coworkers that don't know Jesus, and open the word together and just see what the Bible says about Jesus. And that's what we tell them. Have you, to, to ask, are you, have you ever wondered what the Bible says about Jesus? And, and so we tell them, this isn't going to be a study. It's going to be a conversation. Mm-hmm. We'll read and talk about it. Now, we train them at, at what to do at home in order to equip themselves to be able to ask good questions that are going to open up conversation. But part of it, too, is be attentive to the questions that they're asking of the text and if they're relevant, not, you know, some random thing, but if it's if it's a relevant question, don't be afraid to push your questions aside and jump into the questions they're asking. And we're finding that over weeks and months, uh, people, as they read the word and they see what Jesus was doing and hear what Jesus is doing, begin to fall in love with Jesus. Mm. And it has, we're, I mean, it's been really exciting. It's what we, like I said, it's what we did in Guatemala and we saw, you know, 10 churches get planted that way. We are doing it now here and we're, we're seeing people making decisions and then going and telling friends Tell and family. Tell us one of those stories. Um, well, gosh, one, one of my, one of my favorites, um, actually, uh, there's a guy, uh, Steve Mesker, who is at Sacramento Friends. He went to a training we did. Um, he was sitting in Starbucks and this woman came up to him and asked him what he was studying. And, and he told her that led to some questions and um, it led to a conversation ultimately in which he asked her, have you ever wondered who Jesus is? And she said, yes. Mm. And now she was a Vietnamese Buddhist immigrant. Mm. Okay. They meet in, in Starbucks, they have this conversation and they begin he and his wife, Sue, began sitting down with this woman and reading the Bible and talking about Jesus. And months later, she makes the decision to follow Christ. Now they've got uh, four women in this group. Um, you know, God has continued to bring them new people, but it's still a conversation. Mm-hmm. And so we do that. We, we start with the book of Mark 
uh, because it's the simplest version of the gospel. It's most straightforward. And it, I, I think it's like the first century people that we get to see what they saw. We get to hear what they heard and make our decisions, yeah. you know? So we do that. And then if they become a believer, we invite them to read the Sermon on the Mount together. Mm-hmm. And that becomes our, our first steps in discipleship. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, Technically, I guess you could say reading Mark together is the first steps in discipleship. Yeah. So they're being discipled before they have even made a decision. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how it works. It's very mm-hmm. simple. We do it in public places because we want to generate interest and curiosity. And we also want them to be comfortable reading the Bible in public mm-hmm. and, and praying in public. Mm-hmm. And so that's basically what a Bible dialogue is. And so do you have a story that you told us about your friend who's a surfer mm-hmm. and then about Steve sitting in Starbucks with a woman yeah. he didn't know? Do you have a story of someone you were doing that process with in terms of just learning from them, then learning to serve them, and then being able to ga- engage Great them with question. the biblical dialogue? Yeah. I'm, um, I, I started meeting last year with, uh, someone who is on the far, 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 far periphery of our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to guard you sure. know, privacy, but, Absolutely. um, someone who, yeah, just would not be on anybody's uh, birthday party invitation list. Mm-hmm. Hardcore. Hardcore. <laughs> and, um, we met uh, through a mutual friend and, and this person just said, I'm at the end of my rope mm. and uh, I, my, my life is not working for me. Mm. Um, and I, so we just met and I, we, I just asked questions at first and was just kind of listening and first few times. And um, then um, after about our second or third conversation, I said, you know, I think you might find something interesting in the life of Jesus mm. that could speak to some of this. And, and uh, the person said, you know, I'd, I'd like to do that. Mm. And what was so cool is at, we had met a couple of times. I was sitting one time in Starbucks and this person came a little late and, and their person, like they walk into a room, everybody knows they're there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so uh, this person comes walking into the, into the Starbucks and I'm at the far end and I go, Dude, I'm so sorry I'm late. I forgot my Bible, so I went home to get it. <laughs> and and I just thought, this is so hilarious yeah. because this is not the person you expect to have a Bible. Right. And to be so bold about yeah. it, you know, so you could just see God was already doing mm. something. And, and over the course of a year, uh, reading and 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 um, reflecting and, and wrestling, and and then that led to uh, just some hangout times and, and, uh, you know, a couple of times when there was a situation where I got a phone call, if I could help out and mm-hmm. not big, big things, but, mm-hmm. but just being present. And, um, yeah, eventually, uh, after a few months, I, I, I asked this, this person, we were out, we were having coffee and I said, Hey, so, um, if you were like, if your friends asked you why in the world you're hanging around with this, this old white guy, you know, <laughs> Uh, what would you tell him? And, and he looked at me and he said, I guess I would tell him that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I want to be the best disciple I can, and you're helping me to do that. Oh, my and, goodness. And I looked at him and I said, did you, just, did you just confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And, and, and then he started cracking up and he goes, yeah. <laughs> and, wow. and that's, you know. 
that's how it happens. It, it, it wasn't even, you know, I didn't even get to make an invitation. It was just, uh, you <laughs> God know, self-declaration. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's so, awesome. So that was, has been, and, and they continue to grow. And now they are bringing friends into mm -hmm. that same conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's the really cool part. In fact, mm -hmm. that person ended the year by putting a, a Facebook posting, which they declared their faith to oh everybody and, and call, uh, called on others to seek God. So yeah, it's been a radical, that's incredible. radical journey. Okay. So Alan, this is, this is what I'm thinking and what I'm wondering if people who are listening are thinking like, well, of course that happens. This is Alan Amavisca. This mm. is how God has gifted him. He's been a missionary. This is, this is who he is. Like mm. this, it's not going to work that way mm. for me. Help me. We've been training people. We trained 70 people last year how to do this. Um, and almost all of them are doing it. Mm -hmm. And almost and pretty much everybody, the reports that we're getting back, people are seeing things happen. Because the cool thing about it, if you learn the tools, and the tools are not, this is not rocket science. Um, but if you learn how to ask good questions and you stay focused on the text, you know, really all we're doing is inviting people into a dialogue with God through God's word. I mean, mm -hmm. if God's word is inspired by the Holy Spirit, how much better for me to get them to start talking to the word, right? Mm -hmm. And so so that's really the strategy of it. And, and we're just watching the word do the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. And all we're doing is keeping the conversation going. If it starts to quiet down, you know, we teach people some good questions they can ask. We encourage them to think of some good questions ahead of time that they can throw in. Um, and yeah, it's, I mean, seriously, I don't want to say anybody could do this, but almost anybody mm -hmm. can do this mm -hmm. because it's really just, um, being a friend to somebody and asking questions and letting the word do the work. So I'm immediately struck with, I might have to unlearn a mm. few things in my own history and training and experience with church. Yeah. Um, for example, feeling that overwhelming sense of responsibility from the transactional way I was taught evangelism, that it's sort of my responsibility. Right. It's my responsibility to get this person to a point of decision and then lead them through this specific right. kind of prayer. And I hear you saying, oh, we let God do the heavy lifting. Yeah. So I wonder if you could speak to that, but also talk about maybe some other obstacles that we have to sort of wrestle down, some of us who have history, with evangelism in different kind of contexts. Well, let me just bring Jesus in for a second. And let's just think about Nicodemus. Mm -hmm. You know, chapter chapter three of, Chick of uh, John, Nicodemus is asking all these questions. Jesus doesn't really answer any mm -hmm. of them, uh, but they have a conversation. <laughs> and, and that's all we know, right? Then chapter 12, Nicodemus shows up again in the Sanhedrin and when everyone's attacking Jesus, he says, well, wait a minute. I mean, you know, we ha you can't judge a guy that you haven't talked to. And everyone's like, well, what's the matter? Are you becoming a follower? Well, we know the answer at the crucifixion because who goes to collect the body of Jesus? Mm -hmm. Nicodemus, mm -hmm. right? And, and so uh, we, watch, we watch this progression occur, mm -hmm. and yet we don't see, it doesn't sound like Jesus was running after him or the rich young ruler, you know, it says, he went away sad, and and it, you know, and the impression is that Jesus was sad too, but Jesus didn't run after him. And I and I think we um, sometimes in the past, I know, and you know, first among sinners, 
I was so about getting the conversion, you know, getting mm-hmm. the sinner to pray the prayer or whatever. <laughs> right. And and it was almost like I think sometimes people, you know, may have said yes just to get me off their back. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we got into what we were doing in Central America and watched the word do just wonderful things mm-hmm. when I was out of the way. Um, in fact, I would say some of the studies that I thought were the worst or the conversations I thought were the worst were the ones where the most happened, you know, mm-hmm. where I was performing the worst, God was performing his best. Um, so there was, there's that. I think the other thing is we do need to become more spirit dependent and yeah, that's a absolutely. really good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we, when we have our little techniques and our tools and our, and our booklets and we can just walk through those things mm-hmm. and, and I, and I don't mean to disparage any of that, but but if we become tool dependent, right. we cease listening sometimes to the spirit and, and what the spirit wants to do. And, and that to me has been uh, really instructive. You know, I, we had the one guy that was seven years. Um, I was on a flight with two drunk young women mm-hmm. who were like scandalous. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was, I've been a merchant Marine. These, these ladies could hold their own with any sailor <laughs> I've ever worked with. And, um, they were totally ignoring me, but at one point they were upset about some movie star who had abandoned his pregnant wife. And they said, what's the matter with you men? Why do you mm. men act that way? Mm. And so I just looked at it and said, well, do you really want to know? And they said, yes. So I said, well, I think we were created in the image of God to be in relationship with God and with one another, but that relationship was broken by us and that until we figure out that relationship with God again, we tend to wreck all of our relationships. Mm. And then they're just staring at me like, well, staring at me. And then one said, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) And um, I don't usually do this, but I thought it would be great for effect because the whole airplane got really quiet because these women had been quite loud. Uh And I said, well, actually, um, I'm a pastor. And um, the whole plane started cracking up, which was funny, but they were shocked and Mm -hmm. so apologetic. I said, hey, don't apologize. I said, you, you know, you asked really good questions and they said, yeah, but we've been so, I said, that doesn't matter. We ended up with an hour and a half conversation. Both of these young ladies had grown up in Christian families. Mm. Both had walked away from Mm. the faith. And by the time we got off, they said, hey, we're here for a wedding, but we would really like to go to your church. Can you give us a card? And um, it's, it's that kind of thing. Now I had to listen to a lot of stuff <laughs> before yeah, I got there. Right. But that's part of it, you know. We, but it's that it's that verse, be ready in season yes, and out of season to yes. give an account of the hope that is within you. Right. And that's a spirit dependent way of yes, having a gospel conversation. Exactly. It's not me planning for it and bringing all of my tools yes. and uh, putting an agenda together for how it's yes. gonna go. It's me being ready when God says, I sat you. By these yes. two young drunk women. Are yes. you ready? And and the other part, you know, the last part of that verse, what does he say? And do it with reverence, reverence. and meekness, yes, right? Absolutely. And, and that's so contrary to the way. Now, boldness, there's times for boldness. I can talk to you about times. Sure. You know, there's cultures and places where that's important. But this culture, at this time, people want to be heard. Yes. And they want to invite you in. But when they invite you in, you are all in, mm-hmm. you know, that's mm-hmm. the other thing. And that, especially with the under thirties, I love about these mm-hmm. guys. They are so hungry for relationship. Mm-hmm. And when you show that you are too, you, you know, you can't just, 
It can't be a tool. You've really got to care. And I think that's one of the things we have to pray and ask God to do in our hearts. Because that's one of the obstacles, too, is that in transactional evangelism, which yes. many of us were taught, people were projects. Yes. They weren't people that's because right. my goal was to get them to a certain place because then right. I felt better about myself as a Christian. That's right. You said something earlier that is super important for us to reiterate, and that was people want to be loved, mm -hmm. not fixed. Mm-hmm. And, and people want to be loved, not saved. They don't yeah. know how much they need That's to be right. saved. And the only way they're going to come to that is just what Jesus did. That's if we exactly just right. love them. And yes. I think it's very noteworthy that those girls expected that you would judge them because you were a pastor and they mm -hmm. were surprised mm -hmm. that that you had just grace for them. Yeah. And that's part of the way that people experience our love is our ability to tolerate the things yes. that are true about yes. their life and their situation and where they are. Yeah, and that's a big change that's occurred to me because, you know, I, I think I was, um, earlier I would, um, I don't know, at some point early on as a Christian, I had, uh, you know, it was conversion and, you know, <laughs> and over time the Lord's taught me, hey, you give them me, I'll take care of the rest. Yeah. And, and that just lifted a lot of, of burden off of me. And, and, I, and I think one thing I do want to say, you were asking, you know, who can do this? I want to say for the people in my age bracket, young people are dying to have a relationship with an older person. They are dying for that. We tend to make the gap bigger right. being the older people rather than the younger people. I actually. have never had any young person turn me down for a free cup of coffee mm. ever. And, and I've, you know, and God's blessed us because we, we're able to hang out with a lot of people that are like my grandkids age. Um, and no, well, not quite my grandkids, but they could be my <laughs> grandkids. And, and, you know, they're teaching us mm -hmm. and, and they're teaching us how to be in this world and to be good news in this world. Yeah. And, and so we're grateful for that, but also, you know, that's a starting point is just yes. to be interested in the lives of these young people. Yes. And that's such an important attitude. And we'll, there's so much more, Alan, we could talk about. Yeah. And we might have yeah. to have a second conversation. Yeah, um, but I want to end here. You started by saying learner, mm -hmm. server, servant, uh -huh. right? friend, friend who really loves them and cares about yeah. them. And then you earn the right to tell, tell your them. story. Right. Not, not preach a sermon at them. Just tell them the truth about your Right. life. But it starts with that humility. And I think it is so important that I realize just because someone's not walking with Jesus or not walking with Jesus in the way that makes sense to me doesn't mean I don't have something to learn exactly. from them. And just because they might actually have a polar opposite view mm -hmm. than I do on a lot of issues mm -hmm. doesn't mean I don't have things to learn from them. That's right. And when we can approach situations with humility, it just opens the door for grace and love to be a yes. part of that relationship. Yes, yes. Yeah. That, well said, well said. Alan, thank you so much for what you're doing. I appreciate that you're, um, I'm not sure this is the right term, I think it is, but that you're like a vanguard for us. Like we get to, we get to watch you and Barb and learn from you and say, okay, I, I wanna be more like that in my life. I, I wanna have these kind of conversations. Mm. If you wanna get in touch with Alan, that will be in the email that accompanies this podcast. You can be a part of North County Project. You can be a part of his trainings. You can invite him to your church. There's lots of ways that you can connect with Alan in order to learn how to have these 
gospel conversations, these biblical dialogues, these relationships in your life that allow Jesus to do the heavy lifting and you to be grace and truth to people who are hurting. Amen. Thank Thank you so much, Alan. All right. God bless, Heidi.